name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Brendan Kilcoyne, coming to you again from Athen Rye, courtesy of Immaculata Productions, with uh, another episode of The Brendan Option. So what do we talk about today? It's first Sunday of Advent. It's a very interesting time, Advent. Advent and Lent are the two gymnasia, the two spiritual gymnasia of the liturgical year. Advent and Lent. And what I mean by that is that they're the two training periods. Now, you know that word ascetic that you'll have heard? You know, you'll have heard somebody described as a very ascetic person or having a very ascetic style or a very ascetic countenance, you know, sunken and and, and starved looking from penances and, and the like. That's ascetic. That comes from the Greek word, like so many of our technical terms. Ascesis means training, like an athlete. This is very interesting stuff. So asceticism is getting back into the gym spiritually. Now, speaking as somebody who has sedulously avoided all forms of physical effort all his life, going back to the gym has no great attraction. Speaking as somebody as well who had a stroke two years ago, how will I put this? I've learned the price of not going to the gym or doing something else of that kind. Well, spiritually, you'll find the price can be very high for not doing ascesis. What I would say here is that, I mean, Lent is the one we definitely think more of. You may notice that the priest wears violet in both Advent and Lent. Violet in both Advent and Lent, the colour of our Lord's passion, the colour of suffering. But it's a suffering laced with hope, marbled with hope. It's a very particular kind of suffering. It's not the despairing suffering of the modern world. It's not the despairing suffering of uh, Sartre in La Nausée, in nausea, with other people and the whole of life just sickens them, nauseates them. No, no, no. But it is suffering for all that. And in Advent and Lent, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm, I, I really enjoy Americanisms. Okay, I think the Americans have their own fantastic way with the language. And I heard a great one lately from, I think, the Navy SEALs, embrace the suck. If something sucks in America, but basically it's not good, it's bad, it's pretty awful, it sucks. To embrace the suck means to go for the unattractive side of life, the difficult side of life, the punishing side of life. And instead of dodging it or even just enduring it, you turn and embrace it. In the same way as one of the great martyrs, it wasn't Edmund Campion. I can't remember, I think it was Edmund Campion. It was one of the English Jesuits who actually kissed the bloody hands of the executioner at Tyburn before he was hanged, drawn and quartered because the executioner was fresh from having done the same to some poor soul before him. You embrace the suck. You just face in, you tack into the wind. And that's what we do in Advent and Lent, to prepare ourselves for the mighty feasts, the great banquets for the table of the Lord at Christmas and Easter. Christmas, the feast of his birth as a man. Easter, which is in a sense the feast of the rebirth of all of us as princes and princesses of the blood, heirs to the throne, members of the royal family and those to whom the the future and the kingdom have been guaranteed, if they accept it, if they accept it. And with human beings, that's a big if. Heirs to the throne, heirs to the estate. And so that's what we're going to celebrate at Christmas and this 
begins our time of ascesis, of training. Now, that's the best stab I can make at that, just to offer you that. We're going to go to the gym and we're going to get ourselves back into spiritual shape again. Now, I'm not doing Exodus 90 or, or, or Nineveh, Nineveh 23 and a half or, or Jerusalem 40 or, or, oh, I don't know, Babylon 1600, okay? I'm not going to do any of these new spiritual macho type things, these Catholic versions of Chuck Norris, okay, who are going around slinging demons over their shoulder and, and just generally wrecking the, the demonic gaff. I'm not suggesting anything like that. I know how boring I am, but then I'm old. Because you're all, you know, a lot of you are young and you, you want to kick some demonic ass. I would suggest mm, that, first of all, you get in training. Or the demons will kick your ass. I suggest you get in training. I suggest metanoia, again, that Greek term again, the conversion of the heart. Now here I want to make another point. Because I heard this point made a few times lately. It was made by an author for whom I have a lot of time, for Rod Dreher. Because you know I was inspired by him from the start of the podcast. He wrote that book, The Benedict Option. Now Dreher converted to Catholicism and was a joyous convert to Catholicism and was absolutely traumatised by his journalistic work on the, on the church scandals around 2002. But four years of investigation, he was absolutely traumatised. And he drifted into, not a, thank God, not into atheism. It still, from our point of view, was a tragedy because we lost him in communion, if I've understood his move correctly, if I've understood his decision correctly. But he, he drifted into a lost sibling of ours, into the Orthodox Church, into that wonderful tradition, which so tragically, apart from the Uniates in, in the Ukraine and places like that, so tragically is separated from us in terms of communion. Very few theological differences, by the way. Very few. Very few. But a huge, a huge difference on governance and, and ecclesiology communion, you know, and the papacy and everything. But apart from that, we're really so close to them. They can't stand us, by the way. But that's just us as Catholics. I mean, you know, we like everybody and, and we just don't understand why just so many can't stand us. We're just a big spiritual teddy bear. And it's a mystery to us that we just don't inspire the same sentiments, shall we say, in others around us. I mean slightly ironic. Slightly, slightly. Not completely, though. Because you have to discover the cuddliness of Catholicism. We'll get to that down the line. The Catholic Church does not always appear cuddly at first glance. I will give you that. It takes time. And so Dreher drifted into orthodoxy. He started going to orthodox masses, I think. He was just traumatised. He and his wife wandered in a daze, feeling like orphans, feeling completely betrayed. Now, we cannot underscore how much of this happened. Advent's a great time to think about this stuff. God knows how many Catholics have left the church in America because of the scandals. You know, and he just wandered into, into the Orthodox Church and ended up staying. Now I say, thank God and his blessed mother that he found such a wonderful home. I just mourn the fact that he, you know, he left our communion. If, if I've understood him right, and if it is, you know, the Orthodox and not the Unit Church that he went into, okay, so if I've understood correctly. But um, a wonderful guy with tremendous insights, and he has a huge amount to say about this. He's coming from the orthodox perspective here. We're all head in the Western church if we're not careful. Now, we're not all head, but the orthodox feel we are. And to be honest, I feel they have a point we need to remember. 
we're a very intellectual religion in the West. Very intellectual religion, the Catholic Church in the West. Very intellectual. Contrary to what some of our detractors think. We taught some of them to think. I think we can tend to forget, I'm saying this to young Catholics as well, you know, some of those young neocons who, who just dog into, they, they think nothing of, of just a, a trench of Thomas Aquinas with their breakfast. Be careful. You must convert your heart, which is to say God must convert your heart and you must let him do it. You must call on the Holy Spirit. It must be a religion of the heart and head, both. Now we would say maybe the Orthodox emphasise the heart a little too much, but we can sling spiritual and theological muck at each other all day. I think it's much better to share our strengths. And so Dreher is coming at it from there. So I would say coming into it this Advent, I want you to get in touch with your beautiful heart. I watched there a few years ago that fantastic series on Amazon Prime based on the novel of the wonderful American science fiction writer Philip K. Dick, The Man in the High Castle, which is a dystopian future based in a Nazi victory after World War II. The Nazis get to the bomb first in this story. And they end up ruling about half in North America while the Japanese rule the West Coast. Very imaginative book. But actually the series, most of the series, the ending is very poor, but most of the series is superb with, with a lifetime performance from Rufus Sewell. Wonderful British actor. Oh, wonderful British actor. I would say a Gandolfini performance. I would say he has found the performance of his life in this, playing the devout American Nazi who rules basically half North America for the the new Reich. I would say he's found himself. It's a superb, nuanced performance. But in that, the Nazis who come across as absolute ghouls, which is visionary, which is what they were, okay, or were preparing to become, absolute angels of death. In this, the Nazis have a motto, hearts of steel, which they repeat to themselves like with the Jesus prayer, like the rosary, hearts of steel, heart of steel, heart of steel. What a thing to want, to have a heart of steel. And you remember the prophetic promise received by the prophet in the scriptures that God would change their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We work towards a heart of flesh. We believe humanity already, fallen humanity, has a heart of steel. It doesn't need to work on it at all. We beg God for a heart of flesh, for a beautiful, soft, bleeding heart, for a heart that will love and a heart that will suffer. That is what we ask God for, and not for the heart of steel, because at any one stage, at least half our hearts have atrophied, at least half our hearts have become steel. Our hearts are in constant danger of that transmutation. A heart of steel is dead. It's not a heart. The term itself is a bad joke. And in this Advent, you go towards a rule of steel to have a heart of flesh. You're hard on yourself in order to be soft. You have to be hard on the old Adam, the old Eve, in order to let the new man and woman be born. Because it will choke it. The weeds will choke the seed. Now I'm going to say coming into this Advent that actually one of the things that may come out of this COVID thing, and there is no disaster you can't learn from, one of the things that will come out of this COVID thing is that we will have discovered the value of relationship when we have been isolated the way we have, particularly in the first lockdown. Not so much in the second, to a large extent, because people were so disobedient, I think. But in the first one, people out of fear were largely obedient because they were afraid of the virus, more afraid of the virus. 
And so I would say that we have discovered the value of the other in this modern wasteland, this spiritual wasteland. And I'm sorry, you can say to me, oh, you're always downing the modern age. I'm always downing the fact that I'm not downing the achievements of the modern age, which I enjoy and celebrate and value. I'm downing the spirit and the heart of the modern age, which is a heart of steel. It has a heart of steel. It's robotic. And it's turning human beings into robots. It's an age, as one philosopher has said, an age of quantity. It's a quantitative age, not qualitative. It's an age that measures everything. Everything is a unit. Everything's a number. But I'm not a number, I'm flesh and blood. I'm proud of the fact that I will die and my body will stink and rot. Decently, as Chesterton said, with all mankind. That I may rot decently with all mankind. I'm proud of the fact that I am of matter. That I was called out of chaos by God. That I will return to the chaos by the laws of death and of sin, but be called out again through his power and love, through his sacred memory, his eternal memory. Hearts of flesh, not steel. This is a progress in becoming human, in becoming truly human with a capital H. That's what Advent is about. That's what Lent is about. It is becoming human not developing a heart of steel. The point of it is not to end up like some sort of a ghastly Nosferatu sucklips with your cheeks hollowed out and the two eyes standing in your head. Okay, looking like something who'd bite you. Looking like something that was just freshly dug up and was going to have a crack at you and drink your blood or something out of a horror film. That's not the point of this. Jesus Christ said, when you fast, put on your best clothes, anoint yourself, throw on some decent cologne. That's the modern equivalent. Some nice perfume. And look your best. Look your best, like any warrior going to face the enemy. Wasn't the Duke of Wellington who said that he always liked his officers to dress well for the enemy? Yeah? If you have a rendezvous with destiny, if you're meeting your nemesis, your fate, step out boldly, fearlessly, dressed to the ninth. And that's what you should do this Advent. You should strut through Advent. You should look like what you are a near. But the price for that will be high because the old Adam, the old Eve will pull you back every time. And I think, again, if we're going to learn something out of this COVID, it is to be human. It is to be human when tremendous forces are dehumanizing us. We're practically cyborgs now, as Elon Musk has, has, reminds us, because we, we, we can't do without that phone in our hand. We can't even do simple mental arithmetic without calculators. We're literally, we're, we're cyborgs. We're dehumanizing. Our heart is gradually becoming of metal. But Advent is a time when the heart becomes of flesh, of beautiful flesh, crowned with thorns. So very much, I would say, going into Advent, strangely, I would say, subject yourselves to some discipline in order to become freer. The price of freedom is this discipline. Because the discipline is where you will be pushed into the edges of experience and you will meet God. Because that's where we meet God most easily. It's at the edges. And Golgotha is the edge par excellence. Gethsemane and Golgotha. And afterwards the grave of Joseph of Arimathea. I would say that we're back into training not to become some gruesome cyborg, but to become human again, to reclaim our humanity, our birthright, and that is our redeemed humanity, because there's a new anthropology after Christ. 
Anthropology coming from the Greek words anthropos meaning a man and logos meaning word. Anthropology is a discussion of man. It's a subject that investigates man as in his animal state as it were. Man is a, an object of study. Anthropology, there's a new anthropology after Christ. You cannot simply talk about man as he that is born grows old and dies, all being equal. When you talk about man, you talk about woman as a creature of eternal prospects, of an eternal horizon, a never-ending horizon. And that's a completely different breed of greyhound. That is a physical being with metaphysical nature. And so, in this COVID, I suggest that the desert is already to be had. We have already experienced the desert. And we've experienced deprivation. You know, when I was a young fella, we used to go away every summer to the FCA. Now, if you're not Irish and you're listening to this, the FCA, which, is, which no longer exists, it was an army reserve. They have a different way of doing it now. And you could join it and you went to a meeting once a fortnight and then you went to a camp in the summer for two weeks. And you got military training. It was kind of a very good idea. It was the formation of an army reserve. You got an excellent basic training. And we go off to that. And those of us who were in boarding school thought the army food was absolutely superb. Because if you'd been to boarding school in the 70s, and that's any boarding school, the army food was fantastic. The army chefs were very good. They were very good because men like to eat. And an army marches on its stomach. There's a huge truth in that. It's very unwise to feed soldiers badly. The other lads who were all at home, they were going to day schools, they despised the army food. But you know, deprivation can give one a more democratic palate. And you're much more appreciative of the comforts of home when you're deprived of the comforts of home. Now, a similar experience I've heard from college students. When they go there and they, you know, by the end of the week, they're eating the cornflakes packet, not the contents, but the packet. And then they go home and they have this slap-up Sunday dinner put on. And it's, it's like ambrosia. It's like the food of the gods. It's just a magnificent meal something they had always taken for granted. And so Advent and Lent refresh our palates. They're like a sorbet. They're like a lemon sorbet. I love to say things like this because I sound so sophisticated. They're like a sorbet, okay, in between, you know, the soup and the fish or what have you. Advent and Lent do that. Now, Paddy Kavanagh wrote about Advent in the same vein, in that famous eponymous poem, where he says, we have tested and tasted too much lover. And he goes on to say, through a chink too wide, there comes in no wonder. It's a wonderful line. I always say about Paddy Kavanagh, not a great poet. God, how he cursed me if you heard me say that. Not a great poet, but a poet capable of greatness. Greatness flashes in his work, which can sometimes be dull and undergraduate type stuff. And then suddenly, bang, and you're reading a line penned by a real smith a wordsmith. You really are. Real poet, real craftsman. Through a chink too wide, there comes in no wonder. In Advent, we deliberately narrow the focus. Deliberately. We do it on purpose. And we recover again the wonder of being human and of being called by God. We recover it all over again. Now, what sort of a situation are we in doing that? Well, to be honest, you see, all COVID has done is intensify what's happening in modern life anyway. I don't know if human beings have ever been more isolated in the name of freedom. I've said before, I've seen, I have seen this with my own eyes. I've seen young couples sit down in bars and restaurants and both take out their phones. Now, wouldn't you think that a couple in love would have something to say to each other? Or at least that they'd pass a few minutes staring into each other's eyes or something productive. 
but to take out one's respective phones, my God, you wouldn't feel great confidence for that relationship. All right, you call it. I'm a celibate priest. What do I know? I should shut up. I just have this ridiculous old-fashioned idea that, you know, if two people are married, they should probably talk to each other occasionally. It might be a useful thing to do. Can't beat the odd bit of communication. Is that you? Yeah, this is me. Is that you? That kind of thing, you know? But to take out your phone... I mean, that is as ridiculous as that sounds. That's superior to what I saw in, in the pub there about a year ago. Superior. And so I'm just saying the COVID, we've actually been made to realise what's happening to us. We, we've actually been given an insight into the way we're becoming less than human because human beings are social animals. I don't know how often one can say this. Jordan Peterson has killed reminding people that self-esteem is not as simple as it looks and that self-esteem has built into it the individual's appreciation of the opinion of others of that individual because we're constantly bam, 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 like a handball or a squash ball. We're constantly walloping ourselves off others and taking bearings and taking soundings to try to work out who we are. Well, you're left on your own. The worst punishment in the world is to be locked up on your own. I think it's banned now. I think you can only put somebody in solitary now for a day or two or something. I don't know I'm open to correction on that, but there are very tight restrictions on it. It has terrible effect on people. And the mental, the mental health bill for COVID it hasn't even started to come in, like. Although it has, in fairness, actually, now that I think of it, it has. It has. But I've, I mentioned this earlier. There's no point wrecking your heads over this again and again. I'm just saying that what we've seen in COVID was happening to us anyway. It's just we have actually seen what was happening to us. That we're becoming less human, more isolated, more tucked into ourselves. I think maybe we have an opportunity this Advent. I think we have an opportunity now... To come out of this with something, I think of Aeneas, Pius Aeneas. He was called Pius Aeneas by the Romans. Why Pius? In the classical sense, Pius. Because when he left burning Troy, he had three things. He was holding the hand of his little boy. He had his aged father Anchises on his back. And in the other hand, he held the little bag containing the household gods. The Lares and the Panates, the Romans called them. The little household gods. You had your own, each family had its own gods of its own hearth, its own little gods. And he was carrying them in a bag, pious Aeneas. This, he's the very emblem of conservatism, which is a much more cerebral. And I just want to say, if you're listening, Libs, if you're listening, you Libbies out there, okay, I know you're listening. If you're listening and you're just in the middle of getting us deplatformed, just take a moment, just take a moment and just think about this. Conservatives are not stupid any more than you are. Conservatives are not lacking in intellect. Conservatism is a very cerebral position. It is a position that merits study and involves study and thought. It's about taking the best of the past, which means refining one's powers of discrimination and keeping a dry pair of trousers in a crisis. Conservatism is not about running around like a headless chicken. It's not about tearing priceless old altars out because the liturgy has changed and throwing gorgeous things that were paid for when people had nothing out because your barbarous imagination can only envisage that instead of a subtle and nuanced adaptation, which was done in some places. Conservatism is not unreasonable. It is profoundly reasonable. Aeneas leaves Troy, holding in his hand the future of the family. On his back, the past of the family, without whom he would not exist. 
and in his other hand the gods, the gods, eh? without whom nothing would exist. And Aeneas steps out of the wreckage of Troy into the future to found Rome. You listening to that, Libs? You got it? You want me to repeat that? You know, I could draw a picture, could draw little pictures, pass them out to you, because it's an educational podcast. Okay, I'll give you a little gold star if you read it. It is not some sort of redneck reaction. And I have a lot of time for rednecks. I, I just want to say, I will do it in a later episode. I will do an elegy to the bogger. The bogger's elegy. Because your bogger, or I would say your bogger, which is a bogger with attitude, because I can't say to you too often that bogs are very interesting places. But I know what you're trying to say when you call us rednecks. I know that. And I know partly that mentality deserves that because it can be stupid and it can be narrow. I accept that. But I would just say you need to have an increased appreciation of the parochial, as Edmund Burke had. The little platoons, my friends, the little platoons. Johnny Murphy organising the, the local hall for something. The, the little platoons, the small groups of people clinging together on the edge of the precipice. Now, this Advent is a tremendous time to celebrate that to celebrate the great and the small. We look at the big ideas, but you also look at the small. To find again our heart of flesh, to discover again the small is beautiful. I mean, how many friends does anyone really have? I mean, real friends. I don't think the numbers are big. You show me with somebody with 500 friends, that guy has no friends. Human heart doesn't operate like that. Didn't somebody say, who, who said it? Was it Roosevelt that said, or one of his aides that said that ultimately all politics is, is local? All politics are local, ultimately. In the same way, I would say that humanity is ultimately parochial. No matter what great ideas you have, they're not worth a damn if they don't generate meaningful culture. And at the heart of that culture should be a functioning and healthy society. And that society would be composed of many smaller societies. When Hitler designed the capital of Berlin, Germania, which again comes up in that series I told you about, The Man in the High Castle, when he designed it. I mean, the, it was designed, it was totally out of all human proportion. You know, it was vast, gigantic, everything bigger than its equivalent anywhere else. It was a psychotic vision, a psychotic dream. And so what I want you to think of this Advent is think small, think heart of flesh, think people, think God. I suggest this to you. You cyborgs. If you're listening, I suggest this to you. I suggest a penance for Advent. I'm going to do it myself. I'll lead from the front on this. Give up one hour a week of television or computer or both. One hour. And in its place, don't just give it up. In its place, put in one hour of time, either in prayer or in conversation with others, or in a mixture of the two. One hour a week. You could spread that into what? 15 minutes would do it most generously. 12 minutes a day would do it most generously, okay. One hour a week taken from your television, computer, YouTube, whatever it is, taken from your Netflix time, and one hour a week put into others, and most especially that ultimate other that is God, which underpins all others, and you. One hour a week. I would suggest that as an ascesis, as training. I would suggest that as training. I think that if you were to take something like that, this Advent would be truly productive you wouldn't know what it would come out with. I'd like to maybe devote a, another podcast to this, another episode to this, but I, I, to draw this together as, as I'm going, I'm encouraging you to be more tribal because it's good for you. 
That's what I'm suggesting, to be more tribal. And in fact, I'm doing more than suggesting it, I'm preaching it. And you're going to say back to me, well, now you've unveiled yourself. Your neck is redder than all necks. It is more rouge than all the others. You've really stepped forward. My God, you're the bog of Alan incarnate. You know, you want us all to go back to being tribal. I want us all to go back to being human, smarty boots. I want us all to go back to being human, not... When I say tribal, I mean get back into being human beings who are social by nature and we find it nearly impossible to be friends with the whole damn country. You show me those writers who are friends of all humanity and you'd be surprised at the number of them who are absolute scumbags to deal with in private. And I can think of one very famous one straight away, an English one. It's a right piece of work. My God, a gifted writer. Absolutely gifted. You can be gifted and be a scumbag. Gifted scumbag. Yeah. A Gucci scumbag. Yeah. Something like that. I'm suggesting that. More tribal. I want you to get out the paint. I want you to get out the paint. It's a bit of decent masonry that won't run off. And lash it on. And I want you to dance in the bog at the next full moon. I want you to start getting in touch with your humanity. And I don't mean go out and dance in the bog, okay? You don't have to dance in the bog. I mean I want you to start getting in touch with your humanity. We need others. We need our tribe around us. You may well say back to me, and this is being discussed a lot at the moment, you're well-intentioned, like all boggers, you mean well, but you really can't do what you're talking about, that's me, you can't do what you're talking about unless you turn the clock back and the clock can't be turned back. You're just going to descend into nostalgia and kitsch and sentimentality and all the rest of it. And I say to you, yeah, but I'm not going to turn on the clock back. I don't want to turn the clock back. I want to discover. I want to bring from the past the absolutely essential things like Aeneas. I want to bring the essentials from the past and bring them with us. I want to rediscover again those things that are eternally human and particularly and profoundly and eternally human because there is no, sorry, there is no eternal human in the old anthropology. There is only an eternal human in the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because humans are mortal, and mortal comes from the Latin word mars, meaning death. Mortals are those marked out to die, as opposed to the gods. So that's where I want you to go this Advent. I want you to rediscover yourself as a human being, and you can't do it without others. And you're not going to do that satisfactorily. Look, Zoom meetings are fantastic. And I, I would say almost definitely, I would say that, um, for instance, coming out of COVID, and it is absolutely essential that we take the lessons that are to be learned out of COVID, or we will make asses of ourselves. We'll have given up so much, we'll have paid such an awful price in economic terms, in social terms, in psychological terms, spiritual terms, paid such an awful price and still come out of it with nothing. Not the gold of wisdom that can always be found in the muck of suffering, despised and ignored in the muck of suffering, for those who know what they're looking for, for the shrewd man of affairs, as our Lord might say, who knows that the wisdom is there. We have to take the wisdom out of this, and the wisdom is surely to rediscover ourselves as human. And human means as one who relates to others and is related to by them, and ultimately as one who is known by God, who is a socius, a socius, an ally, an associate of God. That is what it is to be human in the new dispensation, in the reign of he who makes all things new. Now, done deal. We're nearly there. We have sucked a deal of diesel. We've got to the core of it there. Advent is the time of training. 
I want you to take out of Advent. I want you to go back to quest for your humanity in giving up pastimes that make you a bit less human, have that danger, and in taking up an activity in its place that allows your humanity to be rediscovered again and to thrive. That is association with others in physical proximity and in conversation and in listening as well as talking. And I want you to do that, you know, to give some of that time to doing it centrally with God. And that's your ascesis, that's your training for this Advent. And we're doing it in the context of the general wreckage of a modern culture which has been revealed in all of its inhumanity by this crisis. And another thing is, is that a certain, I'm not going to invade because there is a, there is a genuine danger of racism in this, but there, a certain culture is very, very frightening in the modern world. That culture has done what nobody thought could be done. It has blended a terrifyingly authoritarian regime with a modern capitalist arrangement. And I think it is just absolutely crucial that the inheritance of the Judeo-Christian tradition, the inheritance that we have received from our culture tradition, which is bedded in Christianity, is not abandoned and thrown away, so that we don't end up completely pathetic at the end of this, with nothing in our hands. We've suffered. I mean, right back, Aeschylus, the Greek poet, in one of the earliest poems, it's, a, it's about 2,500 years old, the Oresteia in the Agamemnon, the leader of the chorus keeps it, we suffer and we learn. It's one of the great lines in Aeschylus. We suffer into truth. I mentioned that in the last podcast. We suffer into truth. I mean, for goodness sake, if it's all suffering and no truth, if it's all suffering, no learning, all loss, no profit, then we are desolate indeed. Find the wisdom, take it, and we get out of the burning city, this Advent. May St. Brendan protect you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>